Hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. If you're involved in the marching arts and you're looking to take your skills to the next level or learn more of the specifics about what it takes to get to the world-class level, then look no further. If you go to marchingartssociety.com, you can get access to our world-class snare drumming course as well as our brand new world-class bass drumming course. These courses have hours of content. They're gonna go through the steps to take you from wherever you're at to wherever you want to be. Because times are tough, the Marching Arts Society is offering that course for only $10 a month so don't hesitate and don't miss out. This podcast is sponsored by FJM, Fred J. Miller Incorporated. FJM is the leader in marching arts uniform manufacturing and continues to set new standards through groundbreaking design, superior service, and over 60 years of industry innovation. You can find the latest marching band, color guard, drumline, and drum corps uniform designs, as well as shop the marching arts merchandise store at fjminc.com backslash society. I've used this company a countless number of times in my career and have always been amazed at what they design. The creative team's easy to work with, the uniforms are affordable, and they've always helped me bring my ideas to life. If you enter your discount code SOCIETY at checkout, you'll receive 10% off your online merchandise order. That's SOCIETY at checkout to receive 10% off any online merchandise order. Fred J. Miller Incorporated, found at fjminc.com backslash society. What is up, everybody? This is Ryan Ellis, and you are listening to the Marching Arts Society podcast, episode number 20. In this episode, I interviewed Kyle Sushia. Kyle recently broke the WGI world record with Broken City and served as the center snare for the 2017 Blue Coats. In this episode, we go into Kyle's thoughts on successful leadership and how to continue performing after aging out. Let's dive into um, the beginning of your Blue Coats experience. When was the first mm-hmm. time you auditioned? Um, yeah. And that was, I, that was the first time I met you <laughs> actually yeah, it was, was right? yeah, yeah. It was for the 2014 season. Um, I, it was just like, I was a senior in high school and, and like the audition process started in November of 2013. So I, I, I was just a senior in high school. I, um, you know, really didn't know what to expect going into it. I was just kind of, I just kind of had this attitude of, you know, why not, you know, I, I, I kind of, had my eyes on the blue coats for a couple of years, um, you know, just as a fan of the activity, you know, I, I really liked what the blue coats were doing um, and the, kind of the direction um, yeah. they were headed. Um, and I just, I just went, um, it went w- way better than I, I thought it was. Uh, Roger seemed to like me for some reason. Um, and I met a lot of cool people like you and uh, Mike and Rich and all those guys. Um, and uh you know it, it it obviously didn't end up working out um but uh it was a really thankful for the experience and and it definitely made me want to come back for more and thankfully it, it worked out the next year where i got in and uh was able to spend a good three years with the core so did you end up marching that summer in 2014 yeah uh but not dci i did minnesota brass um and march dca that summer um, which was actually honestly awesome um, that that year specifically for Minnesota Brass was a really good year. Um, and for the drum line specifically, like a lot of people, like uh, the, our center snare was the guy that basically taught me how to play marching snare drum. He was the instru- instructor at Eden Prairie at the time. And um, so it was cool to be able to march with him and, and march with a bunch of other, you know, really talented Minnesota drum guys you know uh and zach fitzgibbon um who you know as well uh, yeah. he marched with me that summer as well um 
he he had auditioned for uh, scouts, Madison scouts that summer, um, and and he was kind of in a similar position as me. He was like one of the last few people to uh, get the boot there, um, but thankfully we had uh, Minnesota Bass as a fallback. But it really turned into a, a really great kind of stepping stone for us to grow and um, get a lot better and stronger and be set up well for the next year. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and so, so 14 was your first audition and then 15, you made it and yeah. you marched three years there. Um, mm -hmm. three really awesome years. I mean, you got the first championship, which had yeah. to have been awesome. Let's, let's talk about that for a minute. I'm not, I want to, okay. uh, so from your vantage point that mm -hmm. night, can you kind of go into what that experience was like? I mean, winning a championship is, uh, unbelievably difficult and incredibly rewarding as a member, but there's gotta be an added bonus to doing it for the first time with a drum corps? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was not, tr truth be told, I was, I was definitely, you know, going into that season, I was not expecting, I mean, I was expecting some competitive success because it's the mm -hmm. blue cuts, you know, but, right. uh, um, but like, I, I, I remember uh, when they first showed us the uniform <laughs> at, in uh, at April camp, I think it was. And, and I, I can't remember who I was talking to, but, but um, we were, we were talking like, I cannot imagine us wearing that yeah. Yeah. and then getting, you know, a gold medal around our necks. Like that, that was just like, not, and, and like, to be fair, I mean, the, the uh, like where the activity was until then, like it was such a different type of thing, like yeah. a different show concept and a different, uniform than anything that's ever been done before and so it was hard to picture that happen you know not that it's about winning but like yeah no, I mean, I mean, it, it is a little bit you know yeah. so um it was hard to just like picture that happening um but and you know obviously people there were you know some people out there some traditionalists that you know hated the show which i think is fair you know that right that, that's their opinion and they're entitled to it um but yeah, the, the the response generally was very positive to the show, which which took me by surprise, and then and then the competitive sec success was even more surprising, and so um, that you know combined with that the, being in first place was kind of uncharted territory for the Bluecoats. Yeah, uh, made that summer very exciting, uh, also a little scary, you know, like <laughs> you know because none of the members had ever staff had ever been in that position before so it was like um none of us really knew how to act or what to do really but you know thankfully we were able to keep our composure and and, and uh put out consistently solid performances during finals week and and it was you know winning doesn't validate my experience but it was a it was a pretty cool um cherry on top yeah sure. it's definitely nice to get the uh the you know, the, the stamp of approval from the community yeah. or from the judge. And, and yeah, I, I agree with you. It's certainly not the end all be all, but it, I mean, it right. is an incredible experience. And you know, what's so cool about that show specifically is, um, you know, I, th I, I think, and I would hope that every designer that's at that level is trying to do the next thing. It's tr they're trying right. to push it and there every once in a while, someone will do something that once it happens, it's like so monumental that it's almost, you can just see that the community is now never going back. That, that like, right. like that a page has officially been turned. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people had done, there were like, if you, and, and having seen like drum corps shows prior to 2016, obviously and been in some, there were moments and uh, 
maybe entire shows where people weren't wearing shakos. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure, but there were definitely in, in, in maybe what people consider non-traditional uniforms. Yeah. But if you just look at DCI, like the 2016 blue coats happened and then the very next year and yeah. where we're at right now, it's, I mean, I don't know how you could, it, I mean, there may have been other factors, but certainly that seems like the, uh, the huge tipping point of yeah. the, the DCI activity to where it is now. Yeah. I, I mean, it, maybe it sounds a little vain or, or cocky or whatever, but like, it does seem like that was kind of the, the main tipping point. You're mm-hmm. right. And, and like, it, it's, it's pretty cool you know and i feel like i can say this so I, I wasn't the one that designed the show i just did, right you know? yeah. but like but like it's pretty cool to to see to have been a part of that you know that, uh-huh. that kind of uh, uh such a big shift in the culture of of drum corps really um so yeah it, it's just really cool to be a part of that yeah and it's also going back to your point about um like your original exposure to the uniform like i remember so i was so marching obviously i remember like mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have friends everywhere and, and people are yeah. like talking and stuff. And so I, I saw a picture of the uniform and I kind of had a similar response to you. I was like, what on earth is this? <laughs> like, this yeah. is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. And I had no way of imagining what that looked like, but it, you know, what's so cool about it is, so that was, um, I had the blue coats already kind of started doing like the closed rehearsal process yeah. at this point in time. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so there was maybe only a small community of people that had seen it beforehand mm-hmm. outside of like membership and staff. And my opinion of the uniform was initially kind of negative. I was like, this is, yeah. this looks weird. Same. <laughs> and then I remember, um, so I was at Blue Devil. So I, we didn't, um, we didn't, we're on a show together for the first half of the season or whatever. And I right. think that was the first year that DCI did the opening show at Lucas Oil, or it was one of the first years. Um, but I remember yeah, getting, the to, first. I remember getting to see, so that video came out, like the, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure you guys won that show. Um, yeah. And the video came out in the very first moment, the horn line like runs out. And I was like, I, it was probably the most polarized an opinion of mine had ever been because I had just decided like, yeah, these blue coats are doing this weird thing. And then I saw that and I was like, oh man, I really like this. Like this yeah, is yeah. so much cooler than I would have possibly imagined. Yeah. It, it, it's funny. And, and I, and I still think like my, uh, it, like, like you, my initial reaction was, was rather negative <laughs> to the, to the mm-hmm. uniform, but, and, and like putting it on to like, I'm a really skinny, you know, gangly guy. And, and so it, it was like not the most flattering look by any mean up close. Um, and then in, you know, we had, I remember, I'll never forget. We had our first like dress run for like full run through um, towards the end of spring training. And we, they just like had us do the opening statement you know where everybody comes out from behind the prop and they do mm-hmm. the dancing and whatever through the first hit um and like i i saw the like jim moore our choreographer was mm-hmm. like was going crazy up in the like like just yeah. dancing and screaming and and the like the food truck volunteers were like yelling about how awesome it was like and and so that that was my first like okay maybe this is actually gonna work you know yeah you know if you see any of one if you saw any one of us individually up close in the uniform it it, it definitely was like that doesn't look very good but you know as an ensemble and if you see the big picture of of everything we're doing and what that uniform allowed us to do you know physically um it, it it ended up being a pretty cool thing yeah and it's it's funny because so that was like this like shocking thing when that happened right the 2016 votes yeah. like that was but if you look so that was like three seats so three seasons have happened since 
And if you look at the 2016 Blue Coats uniform right now, it's like very mild, I guess, relatively. Yeah. Like it's pretty simple. It's There's not, yeah. yeah, it seems very normal, which is mm -hmm. kind of a testament to how uh, an idea changes given its, you know, its time period or its circumstance. Totally. Because if someone wore the 2016 Blue Coats uniforms in like the 2020 summer that was going to happen, I mean, it would it would be like, yeah, it's uniform. I get it. Right. It would it would exactly. have none of the same effect. <laughs> That's cool, yeah. man. And, and uh, so the, the other cool thing, so you were a part of that which yep. was, I think a lot of people would attest to being a pretty important uh, stamp on drum corps history. And then you were part of Broken City, which mm -hmm. I think a very similar, I mean, obviously setting a world record would, will do that. Like that's the, a very similar thing that happened in that winter. Um, so can you kind of talk about, um, well, originally what, what brought you to Broken City? Cause you obviously have the option of being a talented snare drummer, pretty much going wherever you want. And clearly geography wasn't too much of an issue for you. So what, what, was, what brought you to Broken City? Yeah, it was it was a number of things. Um, I th I think it was mainly just the people that I kn knew there already, and the people that I knew were going to be there. Um, like basically, I was, you know, I I, I had marched WGI. I, I I marched WGI pretty much every year I could, you know, through high school, and then I did four years of Minnesota Brass Indoor. And, and I was lucky enough to have an age out. And, and basically I was looking for a, a, a place that would, I mean, push me as, an, as a performer. Um, and I mean, there are a lot of groups where I could have gotten that. And, and, and I was looking, also looking for a place where I would feel like I would really fit in and, and be a part of um, kind of a, a family-like atmosphere, right? And, and I think I kind of, Felt like I had a head start at Broken City just because of the relationships I had already built with a lot of the people there from Blue Coats, you know, staff and members both. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, there were the other logistical factors like the company I was working for at the time had an office in LA. Um, and so you were a full time employee when you moved out there and were marching? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Which, That's which crazy. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how it worked out the way it did um and then you know we had like a family friend uh whose uh, nephew has a house in the middle of la at with like a studio apartment above their garage and they were willing to just like rent it to me for a thousand dollars a month which for la is like nothing right. <laughs> so it, so that worked out and then you know zach was also gonna move out there and do it um and so just kind of the, the stars aligned and, and, and made Broken City the ideal landing spot for me for that, that final year. Um, and yeah, I, 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 every day, like every once in a while, it dawns on me that that, that happened and that it, things worked out the way they did. And it's just, it's, it's mind blowing to me. I just feel really, really lucky and thankful and fortunate for all of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was incredible. You obviously picked a, very good year to, to go out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And it's cool because I, I put, um, uh, when was Broken City's first year, 2016? Yes. Yeah. Um, yep. And similar to kind of our conversation with, uh, we were talking about Blue Coats, um, it, Mike and the rest of the design team out there, they've, it didn't take long for you to, to feel like the Broken City presence amongst the entirety of the activity. Mm -hmm. um, which is great. I mean, it's a testament to the fact that it worked. It was yeah, effective. and that was a draw too. Was just I loved everything they had put out up to that mm -hmm. point. You know, it was just it was just such different 
uh, nuanced shows that they were putting out that were incredibly engaging in my opinion and, yeah. and that was something i wanted to be part of so yeah and what was okay so can you talk about um you know obviously you're not on the design team or anything but from the membership <laughs> perspective can you kind of elaborate on what that process looks like during the season yeah um i mean i mean mike and and kevin shaw he does all the pit stuff um they're they're a brilliant team um, and Mike, especially, I, I mean, I, I obviously Mike being the, being a battery guy and, uh, having, and being like the visual design and conceptual guy. Um, I, I was able to kind of witness firsthand just his, his brain and his process in, in bringing that show to life. And, and it, it was, I, I still, it's, it's hard for me to understand how he does it. Cause I'm, cause I'm somewhat of a planner, you know, and, and his process just felt like really organic, you know, like he just was able to somehow, you know, I, I mean, I, obviously he had some visions in his head, but like, you know, it, it sometimes felt like, you know, he shows up to rehearsal and we're in the gym, the floor is, unfolded and we're all just standing there and he's like figuring it all out on the fly you know and it's and then he's like okay you he points to you and he like taps his foot on a spot and that's where you're supposed to go yeah and he does that for everybody and then we do it and it looks amazing <laughs> it's like how it's like how did he do that um and and it was just interesting to you know also just hear his thought process behind the concept you know because it's such an abstract thing, you know, all broken city shows are like, that's kind of the point is they're mm -hmm. supposed to be very open to however anybody interprets it. Um, there's no wrong answer really. That's kind of the, the, the point. And um, that's such a, I don't know, it, 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 it's like incredibly difficult. I admit, I never designed a show, but it's incredibly difficult to produce something like that without it feeling, I don't know, artificial maybe. Yeah. Um, and, and just the way he was able to bring to life a concept that is so like intangible um, is just mind blowing to me. And it, it was really cool for me to just witness that happening and be in, let alone be a part of it, you know? Yeah. It, so can you go into details on what, so uh, you mentioned the, inherent individual interpretation of what the show is. Can you elaborate on what the show you were in, what your interpretation of what that was? Yeah, so I, I mean, for those that might not know, the, the show was called Seed. So not like bird seed, but C-E-D-E, -E, meaning to, to surrender or to uh, give in or give up. Um, and the, the driving, um, kind of the, the, the main like song behind it was called Let You Win. Um, and it was this very beautiful, slow, soft uh, song by Adam Watts, who, who is, um, whose music gets used quite a bit uh, in Broken City shows. Um, and I guess kind of the main um, motivation for Mike specifically, and, and I don't wanna, I'll be careful here because I don't wanna put too many words in his mouth but yeah, but of kind of the, the main uh inspiration for him was 
a uh, parent to child relationship. And so you'll notice in the show, if you watch it again, there's a lot of um, like uh, allusions to groups of three, like a, like two parents and a child um, and a lot of two one pairings too in, in what we play rhythmically as well as uh, how we look visually. Like, you know, there will be uh, like in the snare feature, there will be three people on their knees and everybody else is moving and the people on their knees are kind of in a two to one pairing, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so that was kind of his, his inspiration was like a parent to child relationship in which the parents kind of have to, to uh, give up a part of themselves in order to let their child win uh, more or less. Um, and, and for me personally, you know, I, I just, uh, took ownership of it in, in a more general sense, you know, like just um, all of the, you know, the way I saw it was like all of the sacrifices that I had made in my life to, you know, be a part of this activity. And, you know, like I, I, I put my whole life on hold in Minnesota to go out into to LA and, and, and be a part of Broken City and, and make the most of that final year. And, um, you know, in addition to all of the sacrifices I made you know, financially and, and whatnot. Um, and, and so that was my kind of personal take on it that I was able to latch onto and, and uh, make that emotional connection with the show. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's very broad and, it, and it's supposed to be that way, which, you know, some people don't like that, <laughs> um, which is totally understandable. Like that's, it's not for everybody. That's not the point. Um, but for me personally, I was able to emotionally connect with it in that way. And um, it made that, it made my experience that much more meaningful. Yeah. And is that, so is um, the understanding that you have the show uh, of the show, is that through you performing it or, or is that in combination with like active conversations between design team and membership? Um, it's, it's a little bit of both. I mean, uh, my interpretation is my own. Mm -hmm. um, and um, Mike was very open and transparent about his motivations behind everything that we were doing. Um, and that, that I, I really appreciated too, like as we were staging and as we were adding on music and, and whatnot, like every once in a while, he would just like sit us down and talk and, and talk at us about, yeah. you know, why he was doing what he was doing, what the choices, why he was making the choices he was making. Um, cause he felt that was really important. Um, but he was also very intentional about, um, ensuring that he doesn't want to, in doing so, he doesn't want to pigeonhole us into, um, how we should be feeling about it. And I thought that was really powerful and, and cool and empowering. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And you can, I mean, you can, I, so I was lucky enough to see it live. I saw, um, the majority of the, I guess it would have been like the top five or the top six of independent world. And it was, it was very, very impactful. It was great. Um, not, not only because I think of the success of the design, um, but also the membership, um, which kind of brings my next question, which is, um, I think compositionally broken city has been using a lot of space and nuance in the writing, um, which is a, a, you know, maybe a separate direction from what, the traditional thought process of demand is, which is, especially yeah. as a snare drummer is really just how fast could you play? Um, right. Can you kind of talk about um, 
throughout the season, what you guys are doing to be able to work on that or any of the struggles that, that come up with trying to play with so much space? Yeah. And that was something we were battling in like through finals day was just, you know, our show was so reliant on space, like you said, and, and listening and uh, being just in touch with one another. And it's like, how do you rehearse that? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, um, it like, you know, like you said, there's tr- the traditional mindset is if we were, you know, generalizing it's more is more, not less is more, you know, like, like mm-hmm. how fast can you play? How much can you play? Um, and we were definitely trying to break away from that, um, which bored some people, but generally people seem to appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was challenging and it was terrifying to perform really, um, because the show was so, um, fragile, I guess is the right word, you know, like we're playing decrescendoing decelerating taps at the edge of the snare drum you know with nine people how do you uh, like gain the appropriate amount of trust in each other to be able to execute that consistently you know and and so it was a lot of and you you know and you know roger like (laughs) like like the way he rehearses traditionally has been like very like you know, you got to play in time and play with the metronome. And, and, and we kind of had to throw that out of the window and just like really focus on um, being with each other and being present with each other. And, and that um, was effective um, in the end, but it, yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely terrifying because every time we went on the floor, it, 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 it like, it wasn't, we made it as consistent as we could, but it was like kind of a like, well, hopefully we all, play together and and, mm-hmm. and can listen appropriately and whatnot um and and thankfully you know we we all eventually gained that trust in each other and, and we were able to execute at a high level despite the fact that you know our show was so challenging and that there was a lot of space and a lot of nuance and yeah yeah so did you guys were did you guys spend uh, significant periods of time rehearsing without a metronome? Um, I mean, there were parts of the show where we needed where it was you know in time and and we needed to use a metronome. But yeah, like if you remember, the show ended with this like really long decrescendoing triple roll, um, and like like the parts that were the most challenging in the show were those parts where we couldn't use a metronome. And so there were a lot of times where we had to rehearse without a metronome. Yes. Mm. Yeah. That's cool, man. And it, it, I, I was, as I was watching the show again, not when I was watching for the first time, but I was watching it again. Um, I was trying to like see it through the eyes of like an educator and how to mm-hmm. clean it and how to make some of those moments happen. Um, yeah. Which is probably a good place to find yourself in because if you're, trying to figure out a new way to clean something, it's probably because you're doing something new, but yeah. the system doesn't exist yet. So, which I think yep. is you know, a testament to the success of the designer. So can you, can you go in kind of, um, I guess, show concept aside in that um, 
specific performance aside, um, can you kind of go into similarities or differences between the the approach or the technique that you were using at Broken City relative to Bluecoats? Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, there were a lot of similarities. Um, you know, there's always a high standard that you have to have, and and there's always um, you know, just general rehearsal procedures that we follow. Um, but I, I guess the main difference is that, um, you know, Broken City's approach to rehearsing and everything was a little bit more organic because just like the, the, the way, the direction we were going and I think the WGI activity as a whole kind of lends itself to that, you know, it's a little bit, um, more contained of a contained environment you know we're inside yeah. it's a smaller it's a lot less people yeah it's a lot less people it, it's it's a, a little bit smaller of an like a like the floor is smaller than a football field um but you know as a result of you know having less people and um being in a controlled environment we were able to kind of be more explorative um and so i i, I guess yeah, the main difference would be that it was a little bit more of an organic approach and it required a lot more patience, um, which was a challenge, you know, because drum corps, you know, obviously has like militaristic roots, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's a little bit more like go, 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 you know, let's get this clean and perfect now. Whereas Broken City was a little bit more like be present in the moment, trust the process and and be patient as we try to do things that have never been done before if that makes sense yeah yeah that's and i i'm sure that um you know from your perspective having i guess roger being the the constant amongst those two groups probably mm -hmm. made the transition into uh what, what is roger's uh, official title at broken city uh he's like or battery coordinator or something, gotcha. something like that yeah. so it's like a similar thing so he's like running some more big picture stuff similar to like at blue coats Yes, um, yes, but but he like at Blue Coats now. I, I mean, he's the percussion captain, so he right. has more of a big, even bigger picture lens on things, like from ensemble timing standpoint. Right. I mean, he's not he's not teching the the mallet players or anything, but he he that is under his umbrella. Whereas at Broken City, it was more um, the battery as a whole uh, than the ensemble as a whole. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and you know, the cool thing probably is uh, for Roger, I'd love to talk to him about this is he is teaching both those ensembles. And I think, I mean, I think the world of both Tom Rarick and Mike Jackson's writing, I think that's incredible, but yeah. they both have their own styles. Those are, are different. And he's um, there's starting to be a good amount of consistency in players from broken city to, to blue coats. Um, and he's having to teach, like, I, I would imagine he's teaching similar techniques with two completely separate packages, which is probably a pretty cool experience for him and his membership. Yeah, yeah totally. And, and as a performer too, to have, to be playing those two different packages as well is, is challenging. Um, but, you know, they're both just like both realms of design thinking are, are incredibly intelligent and, and cool to be a part of. Um, and cool to experience. So yeah, very thankful to mm. have experienced both.
Yeah. So can you, okay. So you, um, you are three years of glucose and your third year you served as a section leader, correct? Yep. I did. Can, can you go into what that experience is like? Cause I know at the, um, you know, you get to not only a world-class drum corps, but then the blue coats, especially as successful as they are, you, you are, uh, in charge of leading a group of people who are very talented, um, and have maybe, uh, some ground to stand on to have their own opinions. And, yeah. you know, it's very easy, as you know, in drum corps for frictions to get high and, uh, and, and for there to be some, uh, some issues that maybe don't have to exist. And it's a very difficult thing to do over the Cause I mean, unlike indoor, if, if there's a problem at hand or whatever, or maybe even if it started to, to, to happen, you're going home on Monday right. and you're not each other till Friday again. So right. that and amount of space yeah. fixes a lot of problems, I think inherently, and you don't have that luxury at drum corps. So what was that experience like you being a leader uh, at Blue Coats and how did you kind of proactively try to mitigate all those issues? Yeah. I mean, um, and, and, you know, we, we had our fair share of, of frictions. I think every group experiences yeah. that. Um, and, you know, just the thought, you know, going into that summer, uh, the thought of being the center snare of the blue cuts was intimidating, truthfully. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like I was the, you know, most veteran member of the snare line at the time. So it made sense that that was the role I was assuming. Um, but, you know, even now, or like, especially back when like I was first joining the Blue Coats, like 2015, that season, I was definitely the youngest, least experienced member of that line. Um, but throughout that summer, you know, people would come up to me and they're like, oh, you know, if you, you stick this out, you'll probably be center snare in a couple of years. And, I, and every time I would be like, like, really, like, <laughs> probably not. Like, I, I'm not that good or, you know, whatever. Yeah. But, um, and, and, you know, and you think of like, like the Blue Cuts have had some, you know, legendary section leaders, you know, like I think of, you know, even Mike D, my first year and who's a good yeah, friend he's of phenomenal. Us. Yeah, he's a great guy, great leader. Um, you know, I think Frankie and T gas and even Ramos and drew guy. Right. And, and so yeah. it's like, it's like suddenly my name was being thrown into this group of, of people I held in such high regard. Um, and it was, that was intimidating. Um, but I, I kind of had to learn to just trust myself and, and my abilities, you know, like I was being put in that position for a reason and it's because. I had the skill to do it. I had the experience to do it. Um, and then, you know, that summer specifically, we had a lot of veteran members. Like we, 2016, we had a lot of, we had a pretty young line. And, and as a result in 2017, we had a very, I, I want to say there were only four or five new guys on the, in the battery that you, in 2017. And so, um, which, which was a good thing. You know, we had a lot of experienced people that knew what they were doing. Um, but it also, you know, we, we, we ran the risk of, of running into people like you, like you mentioned, like right. that have egos and, 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 you know, um, can get frustrated with, you know, if things aren't running the way that they think it should be run. And, um, and, and so just to mitigate that, you know, I, I did my best to be, humble you know and and not naive and to the fact that like 
I'm surrounded by a bunch of really talented people, you know, some of whom are better at than me at certain things, you know, and, and, and so, um, I, I did my best to ensure that everybody had a platform to, um, be a leader in their own way, you know? Um, and I, and I think that helped a little bit, you know, I, I'd like to think I did a good job, you know, you can ask the guys online, <laughs> uh, for their own opinion, but, um, but, yeah, it was, it was, it was challenging for sure. And, um, it was challenging, but it was, it was rewarding and, 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 a, and a summer of tremendous personal growth for me, um, to be leading that group. Yeah. Can you go into the specifics on, um, like you said, you try to give a platform to everyone to lead their own way. Uh, what does that look like from like a relationship sense? Like how are you communicating with everyone and, and what are you doing to be able to give them that opportunity? Um, I think a lot of it is just listening, you know, like, like there are certain things, there are certain times where you as the leader, you know, you have to be decisive and, you know, ultimately I had the final say on, on, on certain things, but, you know, even little things like where should we set up the block <laughs> or, yeah. you, you know, like, or, or who should be carrying the metronome? Like, like I made sure that, and, and, and this is something we talked about at the beginning of the season too. Like I sat everybody down and, 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 and made sure everybody understood that they could just come to me with anything. And, and that because we had such a veteran line, this was a really exciting opportunity for us and, and, you know, to be, good already but also um we have people that can step up and and you know make good decisions on behalf of the line and and so um it was my job to just uh, uh, make them understand that they that i could listen to them and 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 be there for them uh when they um had an opinion and and, and wanted to speak up about it so yeah and i i had a um... I had Daniel Ricotta on the podcast recently and I was, uh, we got into a, a similar discussion about kind of the, which I think you're hitting the nail right on the head the, the necessity of being able to have open lines of communication. Mm -hmm. um, not, not only so that if there's an issue that, you know, that anyone who you're, um, who, who you're leading can, can communicate with you, but also just the fact that the communication itself could exist almost makes a bunch of problems just go away. Exactly. Exactly. If people feel like, they're just a number and, and, you know, no matter what they do or no matter what their feelings are, they, there's no chance that they would have any effect on anything. Like that's when people get upset and, and, you know, just ensuring it, like you said, just ensuring people have a platform to yeah. speak up and, and have their voice heard. Um, I think goes a long way in, not just in drum corps, but in, in life. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's good. And I, I'm, I mean, that's one of the cooler parts about uh, drum corps. I think, I guess just marching in general is you, you kind of have this microcosm to figure out all these successes and failures and like techniques that do and do not work. And then you just see them like hold their truth throughout the entirety of your life. And like, totally. especially like, I'm, I'm sure you're seeing this now, like now that you're in uh, a different field that isn't, um, you know, the, the marching arts. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of those things are still holding true. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, like every day I'm, there are 
applicable skills um, that I gained during my time in the martial arts uh, that I'm able to apply and for the better and, and better my relationships and my work at work, yeah. <laughs> you know, in the real world. So um, yeah, yeah, just, and, and, and that was helpful too, because I could kind of speak to that when I was interviewing at, at places, you know, cause I'm, I spent three of my summers during my college years on tour instead of, you know, getting internships or whatever. Yeah. And, and my classmates were getting internships cause they weren't cool and they didn't, they, they didn't do drum corps. Yeah. Um, and, and so being able to speak to that, to the uniqueness of the experience and what I gained from it, um, really helped for, really, really helped me, um, for my future. So. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Like social exposure. I feel like it, like, uh, it, it may like physically age you faster just because I don't know how great it is for <laughs> yeah, your body my, all the time. Yeah, my back hurts. Yeah, but it definitely <laughs> mentally, I feel like it ages you. Like you just, you have to experience so much in such a short period of time. Um, yeah. And you go through trials and tribulations. That it takes, I would imagine, the average person a good amount of time to experience those things because they're just not in the circumstance that drum corps or indoor drumline provides. Um, and that part of it, I think, is really healthy which is all, I mean, it's very difficult. As you know, drum corps can oh, yeah. be the hardest thing in the entire world. And it can yeah. like, physically and mentally destroy you and break you. Yep. And it's hard to see in the moment, but like, as you're saying right now, like obviously there's a payoff to that and that it, there's a silver lining. Yeah, totally, totally. You know, that, like whenever I am, uh, you know, I, I'm up late because I have a presentation, client presentation the next morning and I'm working on the PowerPoints or whatever. Like I can think back to those, that time in the middle of July when I, we were outside in the middle of Arkansas in the humid and Roger was yelling at me because my Swiss is sucked. Like <laughs> I, I, I can remember that and, you know, be like, okay, you know, this is, this is easy. I can hammer this out. Yeah. Because You've been through worse. I, I have, yeah, I have the emotional maturity now that I uh, developed um, through drum corps. Yeah, it and, puts and, like a different and, perspective on real life. Yeah, that's not just that's not to say that getting yelled at about your Swisses is the only way to develop <laughs> right. to, to grow as a person yeah, through drum corps. But, it's but uh, <laughs> it is a way. Yeah. 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 I think about that all the time. Like I'll um. Uh, like just like you're saying like late nights of working or like stressful things that just happen over the course of someone's life and it's yeah. very rare that I couldn't pick out a moment in my marching career that was just so much worse <laughs> for whatever reason like maybe yeah. like necessarily or unnecessarily worse but I just at all points in time and in, in my uh, post-marching life I'm just reminded of like yeah I've, I've I got this like I've been through worse than this like yep. this this isn't like you know, two and a half hours of tracking Forte buzz rolls and exactly. 15 degree weather while there's like fire ants on my legs. Like I, I, I got this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. So go into, um, you're, you're part of the, uh, skull line, the Minnesota Vikings yeah. drum line. Um, how long has that been around? It's been around since 2008, I believe. Um, That's pretty early. Yeah. As far as NFL drum lines go, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's, I, I mean, I, there's, I have no, evidence to back this up but i think it's one of the first um and what's cool is you know this this world of professional sports drum lines is kind of opening up yeah um, it, which is which is really really exciting to me and and i think the skull line personally i think the skull line is is, is kind of um one of the leaders of of, of 
that charge. Um, and it, it, that's really cool to be part of for sure. Yeah. I, so I, um, I was a part of something called the growl for a couple of years, which you probably have not yes. heard of, or maybe you have. No, yeah. I have. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So which was the Cincinnati Bengals drum line. Bengals. I can tell you yeah. it was, uh, infinitely less than what you're doing with the Minnesota Vikings. It was, uh, it was something, it was an experience. What, what, uh, how many years did you do that? Well, that's actually a difficult answer. So it started in, um, <laughs> when did it start? 2013, 2014. I did like okay. one gig, um, at the very end of the first season. So I did the only did like one performance, I think oh, okay. the first season. And then it was like two years or three years of, is pretty. I mean, it was always a good time. I'll, I will say that. And I'm a Bengals fan, so I get to go to the football games, and that's fun. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you're with your friends, and you're playing drums still, and so that 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 was all great. Um, I just look at kind of like the professionalism and the experience that, um, like at, the, at the top of mind, I just think of like the skull line or like Niner Noise or or yeah. the drum lines. It seemed like the NFL drum lines seem like it's actually like taken pretty seriously. My experience was not. It was not like that. Um, <laughs> There was, there was just all these really funny things that would happen. Funny because they shouldn't have happened and not because it was actually <laughs> funny. Like, like we, um, so they wanted us to play, we would do a pre-show. Do you guys do pre-show ever? Yeah. Or like a like a just pre-game. Upper... Sorry. I'm in, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm in band. Pre-game. Yeah. Like a pre-game show. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we had, they want us to do that. That seemed like a reasonable thing. We were all on board. So we like wrote and like choreographed like a, like a, I don't know, like a little two minute performance. It was like pretty cool. It was like got all your standard, like drumline stuff, like some like circles yeah. and like we were doing stick tosses <laughs> and like whatever. And yeah. people loved it kind of, some people loved it. Anyways, they wanted us to play with a song Like they wanted to be able to play a song in the stadium. Yeah. And you've, I'm assuming you've been on the field of an NFL stadium when they play music and yeah, there are yeah, many did. spots where it's gibberish. It's everything, yeah. all the sounds hitting each other and it sounds like nothing. Anyways, we were supposed to play with that. So that's what we all heard. It was a complete <laughs> catastrophe. Things like that happened a good amount of times, but anyways, that ended up going, uh, that went under, I don't know, maybe 2017, something like okay. that. And then it was gone. We actually did. So it was gone for a while, two years, maybe this year we did one performance pr performance gig. What I don't know what we would call it. That was independent of the Bengals organization. A like, uh, a like devout tailgater, Bengal, like lifelong Bengals tailgater wanted the uh -huh. growl to be there. So like we like independently came and played this thing. But <laughs> yeah, anyways, that was a huge tangent about the opposite of what the skull line is. Um, so uh, okay, so uh, is the is it predominantly drum corps people that are performing in it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and there are some surprise like when you think of like where good marching people come from you don't really think of Minnesota, you know, you think more of the Californias and the Ohio's and the Texas is of the world. Right. Um, but, but yeah, there's a surprisingly decent amount of really good marching arts performers here and especially drummers. And, and um, what's funny is, you know, there are a couple different, like, um, like winter WGI independence ensembles and, and whatnot. And people have their own um, affinities and uh, allegiances towards different certain groups. Um, but the kind of the unifier is the skull line. Um, I don't really know why. I think it, part of it is because we get paid <laughs> right. uh, to do it. It, um, it feels professional. But it, it, but, right. It's, it's kind of a professional thing. And it's also, that's also really fun. Um, but yeah, so it, it's kind of like, it has kind of turned into like the best of the best, you know, drumline people from Minnesota do the skull line. Um, and so, yeah, it's 
we're surprisingly good, which makes it fun. And, and, and we play some music that is, you know, not stupid. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and fans seem to really like us. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a ton of fun. I, I really enjoy doing it. Yeah. That's awesome. So, um, are you guys, do you guys rehearse like pre-season for that? Do you rehearse during the season? Yeah, we usually, I mean, who knows what's going to happen this year, but we usually, mm-hmm. uh, will we actually have like auditions not like during may like it, it's this whole event that happens at the mall of america um where like in the big rotunda of the mall they set up a stage and everybody has to go up there and do a solo in front of like the vikings like like the drumline staff the two people that actually know drums but then there's also like like the the cheerleader co- cheerleading coach and like wow. some we're like sponsored by high v i don't know if you, it's like a grocery store chain um and so like one of the high the executives will come and 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 judge us um and and so yeah that that usually happens in may and then um we'll set the line and we'll start rehearsing weekly in august um and we get paid for the rehearsals too which is nice it's 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 like not much but um but it's nice that we get paid for our time um but yeah we'll rehearse once a week uh, we might have an additional rehearsal during the week if we're doing something special for a certain game. Like um, there's usually one game where we do a, like a joint performance with the cheerleaders or um, maybe there's like a special halftime performance and they want the, the artist wants us a part of it. So we'll have to do something extra. But um, yeah, it's generally a once a week rehearsal on Wednesdays and then we'll get to the games early, um, like like four or five hours before the kickoff to do like sound check and additional rehearsal or whatever we're performing uh for that day so it, yeah it, it's really not that much of a time commitment and um and it's just yeah it's just a lot of fun yeah it, so. that was that was my i think my favorite part of being a part of it was um or being a part of the Bengals drama is it, like the entirety of your experience playing snare drum is competitive like every second of it is like yeah. you're trying not you're trying as hard as you can to be the best you can and that's not a bad thing but it you know it's difficult to fully enjoy yourself all the time when that's the headspace you're in and the yeah. nfl drumline experience like takes you out of that and it just gives you a chance to like enjoy your ability and the ability yeah. levels of others and just be a musician for once because the experience of being in the marching arts as a musician is so much different than what normal musicians would do that would just yep. jam like the concept of a jam for a marching arts musician is nothing that doesn't happen it is unheard of yeah yeah, yeah definitely um I, I mean i mean there's definitely like a like a kind of a baseline standard that we yeah. that we try to As hold because be. you, yeah. we, right because you know we're, we're we are being paid to be there right so we want to try our best to you know at least meet that expectation plus you know it i I think it's important to have a standard yes (laughs) because that's you know there's a certain point where you know if you get if you care too little it becomes not fun anymore yeah Um, but but yeah i i I feel like this is uh, like the skull line has the right balance between like caring and having fun um and which is a hard which is a hard it's harder than you think to find that balance but but in, in my experience um it's been nothing but, but positive, you know? So. Yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah. That's, that it's, it seems like it's, it's a, hopefully it's a great trendsetter for the rest of the NFL. I mean, the, the 
the marching arts being able to attach themselves to like organizations as successful and profound as the NFL yeah. would be a great direction for the activity to go, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, I mean, it's only just going to push us into the mainstream, you know, like, you know, DCI and WTI, it's, it's, it's never going to be become the NBA or the NFL. Of course, but, yeah. Uh, but I, I think more people need to know about it and, and really dig what we do uh, because yeah. it is cool. So. And there's a way of presenting it that's more uh, attainable to the common man where it's not, you know what I mean? It's not, you imagine like if someone's like going back to our Broken City conversation, like we, and especially I'm sure if the, if the design teams were on this, anyone, remember the design team was on this podcast, I'm sure they could speak about that show for hours or days on end. Yeah. And if someone's first exposure to the activity is something that they feel like is over their head or complicated, it could potentially turn them away. But with an NFL drum line, yeah. it's, it's pretty i mean what you yeah. see is what you get like it's you yeah yeah it's pretty cut and dry yeah. yeah there's no there's no uh intellectual storyline they have to yeah. uh latch on to it's just cool drums and the tailgate lots while they're drinking their coors light and, right yeah that's awesome yeah. Man. okay so all right so you were also um you were in your college drumline yeah i was okay. okay and you played in the super bowl yeah we did yes and you organized that event kind of or at I, least started it? I, I was part of the um, initiative to to get us involved. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely did not lead it. Um, I, 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 but I just did my part because I wanted it to happen, you know, like, yeah. the, you know, the thought of getting the chance to perform in the Super Bowl halftime show was, was cool. And, and we had, we had a couple of people in the band that were really motivated and, and like started a hashtag and, and got everybody to really buy into uh, pushing out this message of like, Hey, Justin Timberlake, you should have us in your show. Um, it, I, I don't think it really works. You know, truth, like, like we were asked to be a part of it um, and but it was really, I think we found out just like the lady, like, like the creative director of the entire show um, was also the creative director of the Super Bowl halftime show the last time it was in Minneapolis, which was like, I think in the early 90s. And the University of Minnesota marching band was a part of that show too. So I, I think she already had the idea. Back. Yeah, I, like, I don't even know if she was aware of all of these, this like hashtag and like all of the mm -hmm. videos we were putting out. Um, like trying to get us in but um regardless we got in um and it was it was an interesting experience but it ultimately it was just it was really exciting to yeah you know be say that you TV did that for the rest of, of your yeah. life yeah i still brag about it to my friends today so yeah um, so okay so can you uh i'm always interested in what what the professional side of drumming looks like. And I'll, uh, I'll tell a story here in a minute. I, I, are you, um, you familiar with uh, Kanye West Sunday services? Yeah. Okay. I played on one of those in Dayton, Ohio recently. Oh, okay. And yeah, yeah. Before I elaborate on what that was like, I'm interested to hear what the Super Bowl performance was like, because the biggest thing is for the entirety of your marching, most people's marching career, you are being taught by someone who is like a master of your craft. <laughs> like a yep. snare drummer is telling you how to play snare drum or, or percussionist yep. is telling you, or whatever it is. And when you get to a certain level of like, I guess what we'll call like professional marching arts, which I'm really referring to like NFL drumline, stuff like this, it's usually not even a musician. Yeah. So what was the, I guess, what was like the, the rehearsal or the day of experience like for that Super Bowl? 
Yeah, no, you're, you, this is, um, this is an interesting point you're bringing up um, because that like, I, I think this is an issue that transcends, a, it, it, this is a big issue just like in uh, performance arts and even like the media uh, in general, just like, like um, people um, like designing stuff or instructing us that don't actually fully understand what we do you know what i mean um and and so yeah we definitely ran into that issue where it's like you know our the 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 woman that ran and i'm forgetting her name but the the woman that created was the main driving force behind the design of the show the halftime show um she was brilliant and 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 like did a tremendous job handling all of the different moving the gazillion moving pieces that yeah. went into the show it's a huge um, production right right but she definitely didn't understand like drumming or you know like like she didn't she was a choreographer but like didn't really know how to do choreography that was you um, could do with a snare drum on right exactly <laughs> yeah. that was uh, that we were able to do or or and or look cool doing. So so it was a little bit of like, you know, her telling us to do something and then us being like, okay, how can we like kind of do that? Yeah. <laughs> um, but Modified. in a way that that doesn't make us look really stupid on TV in front of millions of people. Um, so that was definitely something we had to, to balance, um, but it did work out in the end. Like she was willing to listen to us and, and, and make it happen. I mean, I mean, thankfully, um we had people like me and our instructor who were um you know able to communicate with her and 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 make that happen um but yeah like i like even like i think of there was like a verizon commercial or something uh i think i know you're talking like about a year ago yeah where like you, you it's like a snare drummer and it's his he's clearly wasn't a snare drum like and and even like drumline the movie, there's like there's like elements in that movie where it's like you can tell it was clearly not the the main creative force behind what they were doing wasn't necessarily, you know, a drummer. Um, yeah. And so yeah, that's that definitely something we had to, we had to to juggle, um, but I, I think it worked out okay in the end. So do you guys are you guys actually playing on the field? Yes, but you you weren't hearing what we were playing yeah right yeah i knew yeah. that part when i was watching it i was like all right what's going on here like this is yeah. slide of hand yeah yeah um the 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 horn line uh was not playing i'll say that um but the the drums were playing like like because it's 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 harder to fake hitting a drum than it is playing a yeah, wind of instrument course. of course uh, but we we had like pads on our on our heads that so like we weren't like actually making too much noise. So did you guys like record a track prior to the performance and then they played yeah. that? Gotcha. Yep. Yep. We had like a, a couple of weeks before the Super Bowl, we had like a like a recording session in like one of the concert halls on campus with the producers and everything, which was a cool experience. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, yeah, but yeah, it wasn't us live actually playing um, in the show. So did you get to meet Justin? Uh yes, he like I, I didn't like shake his hand like hi justin yeah, yeah. but um but he was amongst us he actually he touched me on the shoulder right here i tell the story all the time um, 
because like we we had like we the the drum line was a part of uh suit and tie and and the way it worked was we like were in two blocks like and and like the 50 yard line was right here and we were in two blocks and we rotated in as he walked between us like a gate you know yeah um and we had this choreography where we were adjusting our bow tie and you know like we were prepping our suits because we were actually wearing suits for suit and tie right um and uh we had this move where we like brushed our shoulder off you know and and he like as he was walking through the gate he turned around and he was like oh you missed a spot and he and he brushed me and my buddy david uh on, on our shoulders and um and i haven't showered since so <laughs> I was wondering if that's where you were going with this. Also. Yeah. <laughs> Has he not washed his shoulders? <laughs> yeah. It's a good thing we're doing this over video because yeah. I wouldn't want you to I'm sure. smell me. So. Yeah. That was like two years ago. I'm sure it's getting rough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's cool, dude. That's really awesome. What a great experience. And I, it seems like, um, it seems like now that I guess things like that are happening and drum and I guess marching percussion is becoming, I don't, I certainly wouldn't say it's mainstream, but it's more mainstream than it was, I guess, a yeah. decade or two ago um that opportunities like that are are popping up now for mm-hmm. um because that's honestly that's that's well there's two things that kind of are unfortunate about aging out um or i guess well one of them is that as a snare drummer and i've learned this now like i live in a neighborhood uh like it's not a fun instrument to listen to casually <laughs> yeah so i'm not really able to i mean like i enjoy playing snare drum and i i love that sound but i totally get why most people don't and it's not it's really loud. I mean, even when it's quiet, it's really loud. Yeah. Um, so that, that part is, I guess, unfortunate about, you know, committing your life to an instrument that the average human ear doesn't enjoy. Yeah. Um, but the other part is there aren't performance outlets. I mean, at least not to the extent, right. like if you're a world-class guitar player, I mean, the amount of venues and, and genres of music you could play and, and your performance opportunities are pretty much endless. And yeah. that doesn't exist for a, a, a marching percussionist. And it seems like maybe there's a little bit of hope that yeah. that could be a possibility <laughs> at one point in time to be like a full-time marching percussionist performer. Right. Yeah. And I, I think about that a lot. Like if that were the case, like you and I would be set, like we could retire yeah. now, you know, <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, definitely. I like, like drums are marching drums are so abrasive on their own but you know who doesn't love a, a drum line at like an event as long as it's yeah. not like in a neighborhood the, yeah. and you're trying to sleep in, in, the, right a, in the right context yeah it, it who doesn't love a drum line and, and, and so i think i think more people are recognizing that and you know while you know we we might not necessarily be doing full drum core or indoor drum line performances and getting paid for that yeah you know there is um a seemingly growing opportunity to perform as a drum line and and get compensated for it which yeah. is exciting yeah yeah so that um so i'll go back out I'll, I'll tell the story real quick the uh that sunday service yeah. gig came to town um which I'll say is like outside of like drum corps is the most, uh, what I'll, I guess I'll say is professional performance gig I've ever had. Um, so they got in touch with uh, a representative from Miami university, Miami of Ohio. And he was like a, a rhythm X guy and a good friend. He was on the growl. So it ended up okay, being a lot yeah. of those people, but it was just, he, they basically, as I understand it, he just basically made calls. Um, they put a big list of people together. So 
we we show up the day before that's when it started the day before um and i so i didn't meet like kind of like similar to you i didn't kanye didn't touch my shoulder and i didn't meet kanye <laughs> but i was with kanye um, yeah and uh the one thing i learned is like when we were there he if he said anything about what was supposed to happen you like i if this didn't happen i think everyone was wise enough not to do this but it felt like if you ask one question about what we're going to do next we're going to we're going to kick you out like it was you <laughs> were not allowed you were not allowed to question what was going to happen so we uh -huh. about I, maybe like a day before the event i and every other performer got like nine sheets of music of all the some of them like his songs some of them were other things i didn't even know what they were they were just uh -huh. this music and luckily they had um like a marching percussion like representative i guess we'll say uh, so the music was it was written in the way that you would want it to be written. So that was all yep. cool yeah that was all great so we get there we're practicing for like three hours there's a lot of us uh like a lot of uh percussionists and then we stopped practicing and then that was the last time we played any of that for the most part, there was one chart I think that stayed. I don't know what happened. I don't know if Kanye at one point in time just decided he wanted to do something else, or I don't. I don't know what happened. So, anyways, we have this our only three-hour rehearsal or whatever it was that we have. I I don't want to say it was a waste of time, but we didn't end up playing any of those things. So that was already kind of so. We already we we end that rehearsal basically on this note of we don't know what we're doing tomorrow. That's how it ended. So we all we all like leave. Okay, so here's one of this was one of the weirdest things about this experience. They we didn't know where we had to be at what time the next day. We just knew that we, at some point in time, we were told, check your email every hour. It's, and this was at like 11.30 PM uh, until the gig starts. So, what? Yeah. <laughs> to stay up. Yes, because they didn't want, I don't, I don't think they wanted word to get out on where it was happening because it would have gotten oh. out of hand or something. I don't know. So at whatever awful hour of the night, 2 AM or something, I'd get the email, be here at seven. So it was like, okay, so we get there at seven. They put us on a bus and we're not allowed to know where we're going. We, we met at a hotel, <laughs> which is not where the gig was. They put us yeah. on a bus. And then it, it, it was a testament to how powerful word of mouth is because we got to this place and there's, I don't know, 70 people there, non-performers, because um, you have oh. a choir there as well. And within an hour, there was probably 4,000 people. It wow. Just, and it was, people just kept showing up. Wow. Um, so we're, we have our drums on, we're getting ready to perform. Um, the, the, he was in the middle and like Dave Chappelle was there of this like big circle and he had his whole yeah. choir like around him. It was amazing. They were, they were incredible. And we're about to walk out and play something we had practiced. And then they're like, we're not doing that. And so we didn't really know what we were doing. So it's like yeah. on a second by second basis, it was like this, split section decision on what was going to yeah. happen, which was just wildly stressful because yeah. you view it as like, I was like, okay, I'm playing with Kanye West technically right now. This is a big deal. And yeah. I have no idea what I'm doing. Right. <laughs> it was just like, it was just such a wild experience. And I guess a testament to uh, what the professional life of music looks like, because uh, that's just what you do, especially when you're with like an, a, a, all-star celebrity like Kanye West or Justin right. Timberlake, I guess. Um, so yeah, I mean, they just, they would do whatever they wanted, whatever he was feeling at the moment. He was like, yeah, oh, that's do crazy. That. And everyone on the hundreds and hundreds of people that were underneath him were just like, okay, we're doing that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like for somebody like Kanye, especially like people still hold him in such high regard, like he, like he's almost this like untouchable deity yeah. type person. And so like, it's like, I feel like for him, especially, it's like whatever he says goes, and you just yeah. kind of have to 
I'm sure that anyone who questions Kanye West is probably no longer works for Kanye. Yeah. Yeah. He's just, he's just dismissed. Yeah. 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 Uh, That's crazy. That's, that's yeah. I mean, I, I I think I saw on like Facebook or whatever, like you and and, and some other people I knew were doing that. And and I knew some people that did it um, when it was out in California. Yeah. That's where it is. That's where it is. The, that to my knowledge, the only time it wasn't there was when it was in Dayton. Oh, okay. That was, uh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, what a cool like story though, and, and to yeah. have experienced that. Like, I mean, it was obviously, you know, it had its uh, bumps in the road. Like, you yeah, but there was almost something enjoyable hour. about it. Like it made it, yeah. I don't know. That sounds strange <laughs> because it was really stressful, but it was no, also totally, like really cool. And it felt, yeah. uh, it was just such a stark contrast of an experience to what, you know, your, I guess what we say, like your marching career looks like. Yeah it's just the because yeah, op- yeah, drum right. corps is like we're going to decide what we're going to do in april and we're just going to do exactly that every day for three months and yeah. this was like we have no idea what's happening in the next 10 minutes <laughs> which was stressful yeah. and great i mean i would do it again for sure it was just for the experience i mean yeah payment aside or anything like that it was just oh man you it got paid really to cool. do it uh i think so i we definitely were supposed to i'd have to look into it <laughs> yeah i got paid right I mean, I, I, I mean, yeah, you, I think I you did. Whatever it, it was, free, was but... yeah, I would do it for free for sure. Whatever it was, I think was negligible. I'm not really sure. Um, okay. But yeah, but it was cool. And it was, as it was, uh, after it was over and I was kind of like reflecting on it, um, it does make me very intrigued to and and hopeful for the uh, the future of of how marching percussion can integrate itself into the rest of pop culture because mm-hmm. it's just so much fun to perform. And that's what, that's what I think people miss a lot when they age out is you just, you have these, this, you know, super high ability level and you're not able to showcase it for right. anyone and if there were an right. outlet or a venue to do so i'm sure a lot of people would take advantage of it mm-hmm. yeah it, it's just uh, yeah i think that that interesting juxtaposition that we're talking about between what the drum corps world looks like and what real music world looks like i, I think that's just something we'd have to embrace um and and that's okay if that means you know marching drums are become more mainstream or whatever then then i'm all for it and and, it, and it's kind of fun you know to experience yeah stuff like that so um, yeah i'm definitely i'm definitely with you i'm optimistic about the future for people like us <laughs> yeah yeah or anyone yeah anyone i mean it's it's so much time and effort to to get to the top end of DCI or WGI. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievably competitive yeah. and everyone works very hard and, and then you, and then it just ends. Yeah. You're 10, 22 <laughs> and all of a sudden yeah. you're too old to do yeah. something. It's, and, it's odd. And you can't even like casually, I mean, you can, but it's, it's difficult to like casually enjoy your craft, at least as a performer. I mean, obviously you can become an educator, which a lot of people do, or a designer. Yeah. And those are enjoyable for their own sake. Those are also great. But um, you know, there is that experience of performing that you just lose that. Yeah. Um, it'd be really awesome if it wasn't that way. Right. Yeah. I, I'd take performing over teaching any day. I, I mean, teaching is great, but, um, but yeah, it's unfortunate that there aren't more outlets for us and, and, and hopefully there will be more in the future. Yeah. Well, Hey man, we're, I think we're at time. Um, can you, uh, you put out a good amount of content. Can you tell people where they can find you? Find all yeah. Yourself? Um, I, I guess I'm mostly active on Instagram and YouTube, it's just my name. It's super Asian, so um, I'll spell it. It's Kyle Suchia, T-S-U-C-H-I-Y-A. Um, I, I'm also um, 
pretty active on Twitter too. Um, but on Twitter, it's it's less drum related stuff. So follow me there if you're interested. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I'd say Instagram and YouTube are kind of my main uh, two places to put stuff out. So. Thank you all so much for listening. If you've enjoyed what you've heard and you're looking for more content, you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram and as always at marchingartsociety.com.